aliens come to Earth. They arrive in peace and, surprisingly, speak English. Obviously, all the heads of the government and religious leaders want to talk to the aliens, so a meeting with our new visitors is scheduled. When it is time for the Pope to speak, he asks, Do you know about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You mean JC, the alien asks. Of course, we're familiar with him. Isn't he the greatest ever? Every year he comes and pays us a visit just to see how we're doing. In surprise, the Pope responds, He comes every year! We've been waiting for a second coming for nearly two millennia. And the alien kind of sees that the Pope has become irate at this fact and starts trying to rationalize. Oh, maybe he likes our chocolate better than yours. To which the Pope retorts, Chocolates? What are you talking about? What does that have to do with anything? Uh, the alien says, Well, yeah, when he first visited our planet, we gave him a huge box of chocolates. Why? What, 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 what did you guys do? There are Jews in the world. There are Buddhists. There are Hindus and Mormons and then... There are those that follow Mohammed's but... I've never been one of them. So big, so absolutely huge. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What do we learn? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. I know, I know, I played too much. Listen, y'all, I'm sorry I missed the sixth Sunday of Easter. I'm sorry I didn't do anything for Ascension Day. I have been one busy monkey. But today is the seventh Sunday of Easter, and let's tell you the readings, because honestly, I don't like reading John. It's it's just it sucks in my mouth, you know, it's just horrible. But we have our first lesson from Acts again, because that's what we do in Easter. There's no Old Testament reading. Why would we want to do that? But the first lesson is from Acts, chapter 1, verse 6 through 14. Of course, I'm gonna put all the readings down the bottom for you to read if you want. Just, you know. Yeah, the psalm for today is Psalm 68, verses 1 through 10. Take a break for a few verses, back to 33. Start back at 33, go to 36. Why do we do that? I don't know. I didn't make the liturgy. I just follow it because it makes sense to me. Because I don't know. There you go. Second lesson, of course, is Peter's first letter. Chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Then you skip a whole bunch into the next chapter, chapter 5, 6 through 11. I don't know why. But now that that's over with, we're going to go with the gospel, which is the one that I read and kind of took off running with. All right. It is the gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to read it to you, even though I hate it. So, here we go. Oof, that's break, heady on. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people, 
to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this eternal life, that they may know you, the one only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those who gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they go that everything, now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words you gave me, I have given to them. And they have received them and now and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on the behalf of the world, but on the behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them in your name, that they, that you have given me, so they may be one as we are one. Yeah, see, I told you, re reading reading John is a feat. You have to really like Greek th philosophy to really get into it, you know? <sighs> So what did I come up with in my head about this? Lily yawn. <sighs> Shoot. I did Renfer this weekend. It, it wore me out. But it did make me think of something. And it, kind of, and it does go with this prayer that Jesus made. And that's that to be cool as a teen is the worst thing you can do to your kids. I can already hear you asking. What? Yeah. I mean, when you're a teenager, being cool means you've definitely be captured on camera wearing the coolest looks. And one day, they'll see how cool you appear in those photos, which is the antithesis of cool by the time they do. Your children and grandchildren will sigh and hide their faces in embarrassment. I mean, who's in the grudge? Grunge, huh? How about tie-dye? Padded shoulders? Converse? Platforms? Earth footwear? Adidas, parachute pants, thigh hugger jeans, ladies. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to spare anybody, including myself. I was a skater boy. I wanted the baggy packs, the skater shoes, the baggy shirts, the hat that was really super bent instead of flat like they do now, which is just weird to me, too. Sometimes I'd blend that grunge with flannel and a thermal undershirt or underpants under my baggy shorts. And since airwalks were too rich for my family, I got the Walmart knockoffs. Yeah, it was it was it it was a sight to be seen. Anyway, being fashionably in the moment just ensures that you're gonna be made fun of mercilessly by your children a few years down the road. Our only solace is in the knowledge that the following cool generation and the following of the following are going to suffer that same fate. Some trends, though, some things never go away, like the black dress, cowboys, blue jeans, and whether it's 1950 or 2005 or 2023, a well-fitting t-shirt is 
always stylish. But the majority of what passes for fashion is just fleeting. It's maybe the idea of going out of style. The following season forcing you to purchase a whole new outfit to stay cool. Fashion embodies the term planned obsolescence. And you know what? Electronic trends shift even more quickly than the fashion trends. Everyone is aware that hemlines fall when the economy collapses anyway, but who could have projected that Tweed Street would have opened up for rush hour when the bottom fell out of Wall Street? I'm talking like about 20 years back, you know? Even as the stock market crashed, tweeting on Twitter took off. I mean, it was small, personal, less organized, and individualized as it was, it still like took off. See, the world has its own standards for what constitutes success, cool, or powerful. However, those metrics are cultural yardsticks rather than gospel measurements. They generally last until the media picks up on the latest, on the different latest trend or new and improved upgrade, which is totally right around the corner every time. So this podcast issue is how do we who are committed to a timeless 2,000-year-old truth to remain new at all times without ever becoming old fogies. Oh my God, Shane! Well, gospel reading today contained the solution. First, it's very crucial to remember that Jesus said this prayer, which we read this morning. It's not the whole prayer, but it's a good chunk of it. He read it. He he spoke it in front of his disciples. While his followers were watching, he prayed loudly to the Father, creating an identity for them. Prayer was a crucial component of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And you know what? I'll never forget the first time I heard I watched CSI Las Vegas and I saw, and I, well, you know, I heard that theme music. And you know what? I wanted to watch it because of that song. You know, the Who's, Who are you? Ooh, 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 ooh. You know, and, and the, the scream, Yow! It really helped forge the show's identity and contribute to its popularity as a foundation for all the other CSIs. And the disciples were given that same kind of identity that'd be useful to them in the future because of the strength of Jesus' prayer to the Holy Father he said in front of them, at least according to John. But this this triangulation formula that Jesus established in his public prayer to the Father was part of what it meant to be his follower. Jesus' followers have an identity that is to be in the world, not of the world, and certainly not out of it either. As Christians, we are to be in the middle of everything that happens in the world while completely outside the pernicious force and draws of the world's enticements. And that's how we should be relating to culture. Even though it may be charming to be out of it, you know, like the Muslim Shiites or Taliban sects, the Jewish Lubavitchers, Christian Amish, 
Honestly, any religion that chooses to ignore recent history sacrifices relevance for charm and chooses a museum identity over a missional identity. Which drives me back to that fashion trend, many creepy... Cr well, I thought they were creepy, but the preppy Christians like the tote on their wrists and keychains and with their promise rings and their necklaces with the beads that said WWJD. Now, being a skater and stoner, I'd always tell them that I meant who wants Jack Daniels, but I believe part of that is because of this. The Jesus Prayer helped Jesus' followers develop a personal brand that was not dependent on what would Jesus do. And honestly, some branches of the Jesus movement have forgotten that. See, in his appeal for the disciples to be in the world, he provided the WWJD answer. Was Jesus going to use Facebook? Hell yeah. How about Twitter? Oh, he'd rock it. How about TikTok? <laughs> religiously, one might say. The transition from oral to written culture was a leading-edge technology in the first century. Jesus himself mastered it. I mean, could Jesus read in a society where only 5% of people could read? Yes. How, how could we know that? Well, it says everywhere that in the temple he read. But could Jesus write if only just 3% of the population could? Yeah. How do how do we know? Because it says so. In the sand he drew. I mean, we don't know what he wrote, but we do know he was a capable writer. You know, in case you cared why that little bit in the gospel was there at all. So, would Jesus want us to work to lessen the difficulties of the underprivileged and the marginalized? Or would he instead that we evangelize and make new disciples? Or would Jesus want us to start new religious communities? These are questions we don't need to ask. Jesus desires that we live in the world. How that takes shape is always evolving. And Jesus does not desire us to be of the world because that is the how question, because of this, the how question rather than the what question is the one we should be asking. So in 2023, how would Jesus be in the world? So what are you doing with your social media? What are you doing on the internet? How would Jesus do it? Would he post some stupid, if you love me, type amen? Probably fucking not. He'd probably be that guy like, um, on the Young Turks or, or that guy who just keeps showing up and showing clips and stuff, begging us to answer why in the most powerful and richest country in the in the world we have eight five hundred eighty two thousand plus and growing people homeless when we have more space and money than anyone he would shout at the top of his lungs about why we have a military budget bigger than the next 23 nations combined 21 of which are our allies our allies and he would beg to ask how come that is not in the education budget how come it's not our social services budget in the united states of america that's what it would look like if we were honest to god christian nation
Yeah, I left a long pause there to let that sink in. In the United States of America, that is what it would look like if we were an honest-to-goodness Christian nation. Because Jesus did not look to isolate us, but to insulate us from the world. And being a disciple of Jesus from Nazareth does not mean that we are above anything or anyone. It means we're in the midst of everyone and anyone, so that when they are in need, we can lift them up. Because that is what Jesus does. See, the tragedy of the modern church is that that we see in social media and that we see in the news is that Jesus' plans for bringing the gospel into culture has been turned around. Too many of God's committed people are of the world, not in the world. And as opposed to being in the world, but not of the world, the culture has been both grabbed, has both grabbed them and intimidated them. They're of the world because they have been lured by it and have assimilated its values instead of keeping the values of Christ. They're no longer in the world because they have given into social segregation. Oh, so many churches have this issue. When I say modern Christianity, by the way, I want you to mean that it's sold out to the Gutenberg culture while we live in a Google world. Modern Christianity is more modern than it is Christian. Most of the worship wars in churches today are conflicts about preserving genuine Christianity, but rather they're conflicts over preserving a dwindling Gutenberg culture and anxiety over reawakening Google culture. And they're terrified. The other problem is that separation from the world is found in other churches that decide they're above everyone else. They found what they wanted to fit their narrative and ignore the mission. They ignore both what would Jesus do and how he would do it and whom was invited to dinner. In other words, they created a church that would probably crucify him all over again. So where, where, where are we going to stand? Are we going to be in it? Above it? Out of it? Let's go through some questions. I want you in those comments. I want to hear from you. It's a test of sorts. And when I ask you these questions, don't think about whether you would actually be performing these things. Instead, totally consider and only consider your deepest aspirations. In other words, I want the how answer, not the what. There is not going to be any WWGJD responses. And your performance will never concern me as much as your desires do. That is why when my church marries people, we do not say, do you take? Because the what doesn't matter, the how does. The how long. So we say, will you take so-and-so to be your wedded husband or wife or partner? So what do you think? Do you want to be in it rather than of it or out of it? You ready? It's too late, my fuckers. We're off. I want to know, would you like to be remembered as a generous person who was open and friendly to any human being you encountered, regardless of race, religion, politi po politics, social class?
Would you like to be remembered as a person of transparent integrity whose words and actions were always in harmony? Would you like to be remembered as someone who always gave encouragement, hope, and life wherever you happen to be? Would you like to be remembered as someone who never bore a grudge and always ready to forgive and let go? Someone totally and entirely free from any hint of self-importance or arrogance. Would you like to be remembered as someone who always delighted in sharing whatever you had and was never condescending? Would you like to be remembered as someone who knew what it was to hunger and thirst after righteousness? A person who worked on behalf of the oppressed and the marginalized? Would you like it to be said of you that love possessed, inspired, and permeated every thought and every action? Suppose your answer is yes to all these questions, or even most of them. Hell, one of them. In that case, your inner desires are in harmony with the will of God. And that Jesus prayer of 2,000 years ago. It's being answered already in your life as we're talking. If your answer is yes to these questions, you're ready to go. Going forth to be in the world, not of it, not out of it. Don't forget that two-thirds of the word God is go. So, I guess maybe we should make like a tree and get the fuck out of here. I love you all. Hope you love each other. Talk to you next week. Peace.